No matter what organization you lead, finances are paramount for your success. And church finances aren't any different. Poorly managed church finances can hurt a pastor's ability to lead church members and reach the local community. After all, very little will wreck the movement of God more than weak financial policies and workflows. Thankfully, it's much easier to make changes now, before your church is in the headlines, than to try to reestablish those relationships after they've been torpedoed by a costly financial misstep. And that's where our friends at Belay can help. Belay, a modern church staffing organization with fractional U.S.-based accounting and virtual assistant services, has helped busy church leaders do just that for more than a decade. To help you figure out where to start, Belay is offering its resource, Four Costly Financial Mistakes for Churches, to our listeners for free to help you identify the four biggest things we can see wreck churches when it comes to their finances and what you can do to avoid them. Just text RUSTY, that's R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123 to get back to growing your church with Belay. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 242. Today on Leading Simple, we get to hear from a guy who used his pain he went through to be able to help other people who go through similar pain. This is a conversation with a guy by the name of Brian Carpenter. Brian was a youth pastor for years until he hit the wall, desperately needed some help and soul care. He got it and then found a way to be able to share that with others through fly fishing. I first met Brian years ago when I was invited to go on a fly fishing uh, trip with a bunch of guys, and I did not want to go because I don't like fishing. But I wanted to hang out with the people I was invited to be around, and I ended up going, having a great time, liking fly fishing a lot better than I expected, but most of all, made some lifelong friends and had a lasting impact on my life. Since then, we've been sending groups of guys up to the refuge in Montana and now Wyoming for the last few years, helping these individuals uh, grow in their own leadership, but also recover from the pains of leadership. Now, here's what I think is going to be fascinating for everybody and helpful for everyone to make life a little bit more simple. What's the secret sauce of the refuge? I mean, do I have to go five days up into the wilderness of Montana and fly fish in order to heal? Or can it be something that's done maybe even on a daily basis? We're going to dive into that today with Brian Carpenter. I know you're going to love it. I want to thank our sponsor, Belay, uh, for their support of the podcast and encourage you to check out all of their resources. But for now, let's jump into my conversation with Brian Carpenter. Brian Carpenter, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's an honor to have you with us. Uh, for those who may not know you, or your story, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for having me, bro. It's so fun. I've heard so many great things, and gosh, I mean, you just have this sizzle to be able to get all the right people on this. So, what a blessing for the church and for pastors, and just thankful to to be with you. But yeah, we met a few years ago on a fly fishing trip in Montana, and uh, became fast friends, and uh, just a mutual shared passion for the church and leaders and the gospel and so just uh, so much fun but yeah I get an opportunity to lead a really fun organization that serves pastors and nonprofit leaders kingdom leaders from around the world and um, 
have a great team and staff up in Montana and Wyoming and you know, just spend time and find the Lord and relationship and in time and space together. So it's just a really unique thing that God's doing, I think, through refuge and a time and a moment and a space where the church seems to be uh, in a bit of trouble and our leaders need something outside of just an education or a conference or a book and a, a place to find real relationship and friendship and a depth of understanding and empathy with one another. So, hmm. yeah, I just created a space years ago for myself uh, to start doing that and uh, kind of became apparent quickly that maybe we weren't the only ones that were in need as we were pastoring uh, at the time and our friends just continue to come out and spend time with us. So it's been a real joy. As a matter of fact, we have a, a big women's group up in Montana today and uh, running women's trips all winter and it's really been a fun process to also get to move into to serving women mm. as well. So well, I think the first time I met you, my goodness, I can't even remember how many years ago it was, six, seven years ago, uh, Refuge was kind of just starting out and I remember sitting around a table with you and a lot of other high-powered leaders that I had no business being in the room with, but I was really compelled by your story of how you used to be in youth ministry and you just kind of recognized uh, the, the need for pastors to get help. I mean, as you often say, I mean, we show pictures of people in need, uh, whether it's in third world countries, and we can raise support for, for those kids and that. But what about the individuals that are helping do that? They often kind of get overlooked and they don't often look like they're sick, but internally there's something going on. So how did you come to that realization? What caused you as a youth pastor to say, I think, I think there's something here. I think there's something I need to give my life to when it comes to this. Well, it really started with a, a great affection and honor for, for the senior leader that I was serving. Incredible guy. I had a major meltdown in his 60s. You know, it says public information, obviously, that the church was all going through at that time. I was in my early 20s watching him like a hero. You know, uh, we were in the process of about to build a $20 million building, and this guy had reached thousands of people for Christ in our city, and the church had thousands of people and he'd been there for 25 years and you just thought he was superman you know and uh watching him as he had this meltdown uh at his home and hmm. and we ended up sending him to the center up in seattle for 30 days and i think it just kind of smacked us all in the face like this guy like it wasn't an immoral thing <clears throat> he didn't steal money he wasn't you know, having an affair he just crashed and um hmm. i just thought to myself looking at him watching him in so many ways, wanting to be like him, uh, thinking, man, like, I want to be like, yeah, every young leader is like, I want to be like this guy someday. You know, the guy that we follow, the person that's like a spiritual father, like a dad to us, and thinking, I want to be like this guy. And then watching them figuring out that he wasn't Superman and being a guy that kind of sits back and watches and analyzes, like, why? Hmm. Why did this happen to him? How did he get into this place? And I felt like he had friends, but no one really in, in the city necessarily. Not, I mean, he had tons of people around him, but it's like, he wasn't reaching out to anybody to, to say, hey, I need help. And he had hobbies, but he never did them. You know what I mean? Like he owned golf clubs, but didn't golf very much. He owned guns, but didn't shoot them very much. He owned fly rods, but didn't use them very much. And so I thought to myself, you know what? If I'm going to end up not end up being like him, I probably better get some friends and get some hobbies and get some people around me that I can really be honest with and, uh, and just find some a place where we can find some joy and some rest and some connection with one another. And so probably 2004, 2005, somewhere around there, I started fishing with, with five buddies that I meet at conferences, you know, meet them at Willow Creek or 
you know, a convention, you know, a church convention and just would love these guys. I thought, man, if I could just get some more time with these guys, because I felt like we all kind of just tolerated the conference because we actually wanted to go to Applebee's afterwards for a burger and, and a couple hours of sharing and, and talking. And we kind of tolerated the conference for the connection, you know. And I thought, man, what if we could just have a time and a space where we could just go fish together for four or five days and just be together and enjoy each other's company and laugh and connect. And so we did that that first year. That group of guys stayed together. Still some of my closest friends. As a matter of fact, I'm with one of those guys this week in California. Uh, I've been a friend, you know, for 20 years. And, you know, we stuck stuck together for 12 years. And every year just continued to invite more and more friends. But it was, it was really apparent to me, Rusty, that there was a problem. Hmm. And I think the problem that I saw in our leader was the same problem I saw in me which was the church was kind of our whole life. Like we didn't have a life outside of the church. Like our identity was in the church. Our joy was in the church. All of our relationship was in the church. And as soon as something didn't go right at the church, it kind of crushed uh, us. And so, you know, I had to figure out how to have a life outside of leading, even at that time as a young leader, watching all these older leaders around me not have good capacity for friendships, relationships, authenticity, vulnerability, not have time for relationships, uh, not have time just to shut down and really rest. And so I really didn't have an idea to start something at that time. I just thought, I just want to do everything I can to be a healthy leader so I can be a pastor in this church for as long as God would call me here. So it really bloomed out of, you know, that. And, and we joke all the time that we still haven't started anything. We're just fishing with our friends still. <laughs> and um, it's more fun. It's more fun that way. And, uh, and there is something true to that, you know, it's just like, you know, the only way people come to refuge is to be invited by a friend who's been there. And um, there's a high level of trust. We serve the same people for, you know, for a lifetime is our goal. Like with you, we've been in a relationship ever since you came out. Like we just want to take care of the same guys because we've all been to the conference and we're like, oh, we've been to that already. We did it a couple of years. We sent our staff for a few times. Hmm. And then it's like, what's the next thing? And you move on, but you never get that depth of long-term committed friendship and relationship. So it really started for me out of being in a church, watching a leader who struggled and, and needed help and trying to go like, I don't want to find myself in that place. Like I want to do something before that. And uh, we can get into it more in the, in the conversation, but I think this will go down as the great lie in the church. I think this will be the thing in 20 years. Hmm. I mean, we're seeing it already. I've been seeing it for 10 years and we're seeing it now, you know, Barna, just put out their study this last year saying that 42% of pastors that they surveyed in America said that they want to quit in the next 24 months. Yeah. That's catastrophic. That's not like, well, 4% or 10%. That's like, there's no coming back. And I actually had a phone call with, with David Kinneman from Barnett, who's a friend. Mm-hmm. And I said, you got, you, th- this can't be right. Like this can't be like, tell me the, these numbers are fudged. He said, I actually think it's probably, more than that. Like, I think it's probably a plus eight or a plus 10. He said, I think that's the bottom. Yeah. He said, we're, we're, we're convinced in our research. If that's true, like <laughs> we are in deep trouble. Yeah. And, um, so, so we just continue to, to pound on this drum and wave this flag and talk to everybody that we can to say, Hey, if we don't have leaders who are healthy in their marriages, in their relationships, in their physical health, their mental, emotional health, that want to live this vibrant leadership life in, in church and leadership, then we're in trouble because the church only is as healthy as the leader. And if we don't have leaders that are healthy, like we're in a lot of trouble. You know what's amazing, Brian, is I hear you talk about that. It always fires me up because I, 
you know, we're so passionate about helping helping pastors especially, you know, stay in the game. And I, I totally resonate with what you're saying. Before I found the refuge, everything that was a solution for ministry or leadership problems in my life was a conference or a book or intense counseling, which I don't have a problem with any of those three. But then I show up at the refuge and I keep waiting for the program to begin. You know, I keep waiting for, okay, we're going to have a session and there's going to be a speaker or we're going to watch a video. And it was none of that. Um, what, what makes the refuge work? What's the secret sauce? And I don't want to give away too much, but I want you to kind of tell our listeners, why is this different than a conference or a book? Well, I mean, I think the church has always had a propensity to want to go towards the quick fix. Yeah. We all, we're all looking for a silver bullet. We're all looking for the secret sauce. And I hear from people like, what's the secret sauce to this church or this ministry or this growth? And we've kind of come into a culture in the last 25 years where anyone that's had the favor of God, the anointing of God, like something just supernatural has happened in the midst of their organization or their church or their success. And then they figure out how to try to capitalize on it uh, and try to say, hey, this will work for you. Like what we're doing because it's successful here will work for you. Yeah. And we're all looking for just a silver bullet. Like somebody just tell me what to do. And the problem with what we're dealing with, with leaders and the heart and the complexity of leadership and marriage and kids and finances and buildings and staff. And I mean, it's so complex and what it does to the soul of a human through the, through the, the, uh, you know, process of trauma, essentially, you know, there is no silver bullet. And that's what I keep saying to friends who are leading at a high level in the church, like the Barnas, guys like you, guys like Lominick, you know, that are, you know, really helping at a national level with churches is unfortunately like, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Like the, the gospel is not, it's, it, it, it's, it's not efficient. You know, we say all the time, like things that are effective are not always efficient <laughs> and things that are efficient are not always effective. Yep. We think that everything that's efficient is effective. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we want to, we want to create efficient things that are super effective through books and con- And I'm, I love these things. I love, con- I'm a sucker for conferences. I'm a sucker for books, but we haven't seen the numbers change. Right. The numbers aren't better. They're, they're worse now than ever. And we've put all of our money, time, and effort into these things, and they didn't work. Mm-hmm. So the secret sauce is creating a space where there's honor, creating a space where there's a servant mentality, where we're here to serve you, we're here to create space for you, mm-hmm. and we're here to create trust. And so we actually, you know, everybody has, you know, a formula that they have that, that they use. I would call it a construct. So your church has a construct. Businesses have constructs organizations have construct we have a construct and the construct essentially is a funnel to healing because what we're really talking about is healing mm-hmm. people think about refuge and they think oh it's a fly fishing trip with a bunch of buddies and isn't this cute it's like no no that's just a trick <laughs> the whole thing the whole thing is the whole thing is a trojan horse right I mean, we love to fly fish and it's fun and it's great but it's just a tool it's a tool to move people to a place of healing and people think well how can you get the healing from there well for us we say hey a shared, authentic, mutual experience, spending time together. It's kind of just the BS of being together that nobody really wants to fund and nobody, and everybody thinks, oh, that's a waste of time and money and energy. It's like, hmm. but if you don't get that first, if you don't create time and space for a leader first where they can stop, they can settle down, they can be put into a different ethos, area, place, mindset, then all of a sudden, as guys that have mutual 
uh, of friendships and relationships, like they just naturally like to spend time together. So we work with only one host. So for example, like when you host, who do you bring? All your friends. Right. You know, you bring, you bring your buddies that you like, that you already trust, that you spend time with, that you want to build more relationship with. All of a sudden, because you spend time with somebody, you then become friends. We know statistically from Barnhood that, you know, they said 70% of pastors that they surveyed said they don't have one close friend. Yeah. One. Like if they said there was two close friends, I think, oh, that's not very much. Not one. So we know that pastors and leaders isolate themselves so they don't have friends. So a shared, authentic, mutual experience, spending time together leads to friendship. Friendship leads to trust. Who was your best friend when you were a kid? He rode bikes, you rode bikes. He liked baseball, you liked baseball. He liked sports, you liked sports. And because you spent time together, you became best friends. And what do you know is you remember those late night sleepovers as a kid where you're staying up late at midnight and you have pizza and you're playing video games and drinking too much soda. And all of a sudden, at midnight, you start telling each other everything. Hmm. The girl that you like, the problem that your parents are having, that they're going through divorce, the thing that you're struggling with. So all of a sudden, you have this friend because you spend all this time together. And because you have a friend, you trust that person. You start telling that person. You start having this open-hearted living, we call it. And the, and the Bible says... You know, James 5, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. I would say, be fully known one to another, James says, that you would be healed. Hmm. So trust then leads to open-hearted living. And the Bible says open-hearted living, being fully known one to another, leads to healing. Well, the people that can, le- can, can, can live the least open-hearted in our culture are pastors and leaders. Hmm. Even I would say, you know, wealthy business people, celebrities, actors, Music, you know, guys, like, because they're isolated, they don't trust anybody. So anything that's true has to be true conversely, right? Hmm. You're not healed because you don't live open-hearted. You don't live open-hearted because you don't trust anybody. You don't trust anybody because you got no friends, and you got no friends because you have no time. You haven't invested any time in just spending time together. I'm, I, I'm with some friends uh, today down in California, and this morning we just, like, had breakfast, and the news is on, and we're laying on the couch, and all of a sudden just having all these conversations, like just talking about deep things about our kids and our marriages and our, some of our fears and struggles. And it wasn't like we were like, hey, let's eat breakfast. And then at nine o'clock, we're going to sit in the living room and on the couch, and we're going to talk about our hearts and our marriages and our friends. No, we just like sitting around and things are coming up. Last night, we were up till midnight, just talking and sharing and laughing and dreaming and asking questions. And, you know, as you spend time together in intentional space, you move into the consequential because as humans, humanity tends to love to live in the inconsequential. Mm-hmm. They just talk about the weather and sports and, you know, things that don't really matter. But leaders, there's a greater stake because if you tell somebody, if you truly live open-hearted with somebody, what's really going on in your life, there's a chance that that affects your living, your livelihood. Right. I say any time that you connect someone's morality to their money, it's a recipe for hiding. And we know that. Mm. We have all these national scandals that come out year after year, month after month, and every time we're shocked. Oh, Carl Lentz. Oh, Brian Houston. Oh, Bill Hybels. Oh, Perry Noble. Oh, this guy, that guy. And I love those guys. I love those guys. I wish they were all still in full-time ministry. The church needs more guys like that. Mm-hmm. Then we want to demonize them and villainize them, and we go, how could they ever become like that? I'm like, I'm just a, a, a second away from becoming those guys. Yeah. Like separate from being fully known and open-hearted and trusting people. But here's the thing. When you connect their morality to their money, they got to hide. Because the moment they tell somebody what's really going on in their lives, there's a possibility those things get out, they get back to the board. And we've all heard the stories from our friends that did it. And we think we shouldn't do that until the point where we just can't do it anymore. 
and it comes out, we're in trouble. So we have to create more spaces for leaders to come to where they can build these authentic relationships. Hmm. There's no pretense. There's no, you know, fake. It's just authentic. It's like, if you want to talk, talk. If you don't want to talk, don't talk. Like, we're here to care for you, serve you, honor you, tell you how important you are, how much we love you and love what you do. And when I spoke at a church in San Diego last weekend, two services, and my wife and I finished, and we said, man, leading a church is so hard. Like, we were just, mm-hmm. had this renewed compassion for pastors to go like, it is so hard. I mean, this church is two years old, and, you know, it's just so much work. And the husband and the wife are working so hard. And I just thought, man, like, I'm so thankful that we get to live a life for people like these, like these guys, that we get to live a life where we get to give our lives to people that are serving in the local church because it's so hard. And, uh, and that's a big reason why people just don't want to do it anymore. You know, the, the world's so complex. Church is so complex. Complex People are so angry. The political things, the LGBTQ, the Black Lives Matter, yeah. you're either too woke or you're not woke enough. It's like these guys are like, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm going to go sell insurance or, you know, sell cars or go into business and just make good money and be a good Christian. Like, I don't want to lead anymore. Yeah. And um, so we got to create spaces where we can keep these guys around and let them know how important they are. It's interesting. I think every pastor I know has the uh, the job in mind that they'd much rather be doing that is of no consequence. And I, Mike Bro and I would joke about this all the time that he always wished he could just go cut grass for a living because yeah. very rarely do people send emails about that. You know, they don't get all upset about that or say it ruined their life. And there's solitude in it and all of that. I think we've all got that, you know, whether it's working in an ice cream parlor or, uh-huh. you know, something that you're like, man, who am I going to bother by this? What, what I love about the refuge is it allows guys to talk about that. And I, I mean, you and I have fly fished before. You know that I, I'm not great at it. I don't love it. It is better than bass fishing, which I grew up with with my dad. Yeah. But there's something about being out in the boat, seeing bald eagles, um, you know, just on the stream that just generates conversation, but then it's when you sit around that table at night and you have dinner and then you sit around the bonfire at night, mm-hmm. man, conversation just starts flowing. And it's like, boy, you feel seen for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have this deep desire to really want to know. We're just waiting for someone to ask us how we're doing. Because, you know, if, it, if people ask us how we're doing all the time in church, like in the foyer, how you doing, Pastor? A great sermon today, or, you know. But we know that they're, they don't really have the capacity to be able to carry what we're actually carrying, but we're desperately looking for a place to want to share those things. You know, the Apostle Paul says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, mm. which means that's the law of love is the law of Christ, mm-hmm. which means I can't actually fulfill the law of love, the law of Christ, unless I carry your burdens. And I can't carry Rusty George's burdens if I don't know what they are. Yeah. So we have to create spaces, and that's every human. It doesn't matter if you're superhuman. The problem with leaders and pastors sometimes is that we all think or believe that we are the exception to the rule. Mm. I tell leaders every single week, you're not the exception. (laughs) You're not the exception. You know what? You're not a better leader than all these other guys that couldn't do it. You're not the exception that you can go seven days a week and never take a break. You're not the exception that you can't care for your body and, and, and eat well and exercise. You're not the exception to think that you don't need some mental health care and some trauma therapy. You're not the exception that you think you can run your whole life and not have friends. You're not the exception that, that you can do all these things. You're not superhuman. Mm-hmm. And leaders are so good. They're so proficient. They're so talented. They're so gifted that in their minds, they start to think 
that they're the exception until they get to a place one day later in their leadership life where they're so exhausted, so worn out, so torn up to think, oh my gosh, I thought I could do it. I had this almost as arrogance or, or this, this pride to think I'm better than these guys. I can do it in a way that they couldn't do it. And they don't put parameters on their lives. They don't put boundaries on their leadership uh, to be able to live a sustainable life. We are not in a sprint. Right. Like pastors, and leaders, we're, not, we're not in a sprint. We're not going to fix this problem in six months. We are not going to be judged on what we did as much as we are going to be judged on if we were faithful to what God said to do. And so a lot of times people will just take off because they didn't, they didn't perform the way another pastor performed or their church didn't grow like another thing did or they didn't do all the things that they said to do at the conference that mm. they got them the results that that church got with those things at the conference. And all of a sudden they think, I should just quit because I'm not good enough to do this. I, I'm not having the results. It's not worth the energy. Instead of saying, what is God asking me to do? What if I'm just faithful? Mm-hmm. What we're trying to do at Refuge all the time is just encourage people, just stay faithful. Mm-hmm. You might not hit out of the park this year. You might not, not hit out of the park next year. It might take five years. You might not ever hit out of the park. You might tell people all the time, look at Mother Teresa. Mm. If you read her letters back to the church that was in her leadership, she begged them for 20, 30 years to bring her home. In the letter, she would say, there's nothing happening here. There's no fruit here. I could be more useful somewhere else. You know, why are you leaving me here? It wasn't until the end of her life that she saw something radical, that the Lord moved in a different way, asked her to do things in a different way, to see things from a different perspective, that she really saw fruit and results, but she was faithful for a really long time at the same place. So, you know, we have to think more in context in our leadership around faithfulness and calling and less about just results. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the paramount thing that we're trying to do at Refuge is say, just stay faithful. Mm. Just stay faithful to what God called you to do. Live your life where you're so healthy that, yeah, God could call you to do something else. That's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't think most of the leaders are going to quit in the, this 42% that Barna says is going to quit in the next 24 months. I don't think 42% of our leaders are all going to quit because God told half of our pastors in America to quit. Right. That's a different situation, right? So, so, so we need to be funding things that keep leaders in place because every business owner knows, you as a senior leader at a church knows, it's way more expensive to replace somebody than it is to keep good people. Mm-hmm. So when, we, when we're thinking about kingdom resources and the things we're investing in kingdom resources in, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, we spent billions and billions of dollars on conferences and books and trainings and all those kinds of things and didn't get results because even though we made these guys smarter and they were more equipped and more efficient, it didn't mean that we kept them in the game a long time. And so the money is really a waste. Mm. We need to invest our money and our resources just into keep, keeping people healthy and keeping them in the game because a leader who's healthy and fired up and has a fire in their belly is full of the Spirit of God and the Word of God and has life and their marriage is in a great place and they love their kids and they love their congregation. And it doesn't mean that it's not still hard, but they're, they're so healthy that they want to stick around we got to start putting our resources into that because it's going to cost us way more in the end uh, than, it, than, than it would be if we just keep people in the game. So faithfulness to me is a huge part of what we're talking to leaders about all the time. Again, the fly fishing and the fun and you know all that, that's just a trick to talk to people about the things that we really believe in. Yeah, that's so good. And, and you're right. There's very little of, here's four strategies we're using, and I want to share these with everybody. It, it is so life-on-life, life, relational. That makes it great. So let me just kind of, for our listeners, I mean, it is this four to five day experience, usually Monday through Friday. You've now started doing stuff on weekends. You have uh, you have a house people can stay in. You have glamping. Uh, you have now women's retreats. 
Um, you have uh, snowshoeing during the during the snow. You know, it's all out in Montana and everything. This is going great. You got about 20, 25 people that can come each week. You quickly fill up the year. So you had to decide, we got to get more space. So how do you scale this thing, Brian? I mean, the goal is not to make money. The goal is to fund these opportunities for people and churches pay some and other people pay into it. There's a gap that, that investors have to cover, but hey, you know, kind of what led to, let's open up a second site and is there a bigger dream of more sites? Because everybody I talk to wants to go on a trip, but just can't get a slot. Yeah. I mean, I got a text just 10 minutes before our call from a guy out of Houston. Hey, I want to bring a group of pastors. What do I need to do? It's like, you know, we, we so we, it, under our model, we take care of the same people forever, like I talked about. So all the guys who hosted last year, they're hosting this year because we tell people all the time, this is not going to help you. Like, that's going to fix you because you came one time. Right. Like, you have to have this expectation that year after year, you're going to continue to come, build relationships, check in, uh, uh, get yourself away from your family, away from your church, away from organization, away from things, and spend time with people because you might be doing good this year, but next year the wheels might be falling off. Right. And so, so you know, the, the problem with that is if you're serving leaders – Every leader who comes with somebody else on their trip, they come to us afterwards. Hey, like I've got friends, I've got a network, I got people in my denomination or friends that I'm doing this with, or you know, some some business guys that I would be filled up with being out here. And so, you know, for us, space became a problem real fast. So we opened up our second location two years ago in Wyoming. We filled it immediately, like within two weeks, the, the whole year was full. We now run seven days a week at both locations. Uh, so we're actually probably closer to 100 guys a week every seven days. Mm. Uh, we run, you know, two groups every seven days. And now we're back to a waiting list of 60 to 80 groups of people because we're already full, 100% full for next year at both locations and have 60 to 80 groups on a waiting list. So we know we've tapped into something where there's a huge need mm. where people are longing to get rest, longing for relationship, longing for care, longing for connection. And And the way you scale it, to me, the first thing you have to do is you have to scale culture first. Hmm. because the culture that we've created at Refuge is the reason that people come back. You don't come back every year because you love to fly fish. 80 to 90% of the people that we serve have never touched a fly rod, don't fish, don't care about fishing, don't want to be around bugs, don't like the outdoors. They're very urban. They'd rather spend time at the Fashion Island Mall in Orange County, Newport Beach, more than come out to Montana and fish for five days, right? <laughs> there are some people that love it and get it, get it's for it, but they don't come because of that. They come because of the care and the culture that our staff provides. Hmm. And um, so the, the first piece that we've started to focus on probably four or five years ago was really, you know, creating a robust leadership culture for our team. We have 65 full-time staff that work for us, four full-time chefs. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work to care for people well and to honor them and to serve them well. And so our first part of scaling was to say, hey, as we open up new locations, how do you keep the culture strong? Mm. It'd be like if you had two campuses at your church and you want to go to three campuses, or you had three campuses and you want to go to four campuses, you want somebody that goes to that fourth campus to say, the experience at this fourth campus is just as good or better than the first campus I went to 20 years ago that I loved so much. Right. The thing I loved about this church so much 20 years ago, I'm still seeing that in the culture and the life of the fourth campus. So for us, mm -hmm. we don't want to scale something and lose the magic of what's made Refuge what it is. And um, so, you know, we're trying to, you know, continue to hire young people. Our whole staff is all in their 20s, early to mid 20s. Uh, I'm 42 now, and I'm the oldest person by, you know, 15 years from all of our staff. So not only are we taking care of leaders, but we're also producing 
leaders for the next generation right. through our staff. When you got 65 college age people hanging around the best leaders in the world every week in boats for eight or nine hours a day, at tables listening to them talk, at fire pits learning, what a great space for young leaders to learn about the realities of leadership, to meet people, to try to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And um, so, you know, we're just continuing to, uh, you know, pray that God would bring a third space for us. You know, we our, our big goal, our dream is 10 locations in 10 years, 10,000 leaders. Uh, we could take about 1,200 leaders per location per year. Mm. And I really believe, Rusty, that 10,000 leaders is a tipping point in our nation. Hmm. People always go like, where'd you get 10, 10 locations? Is that just like, you know, leadership lust? Is that just, you know, you want to grow a big thing and, you know, have a bunch of people come? And I, I always say, no, it'd be way easier to stick to one or two and have a great life and have fun and, you know, yeah. keep it pretty simple and easy. But I think 10,000 leaders nationally is a tipping point around a conversation that we need to be having. Hmm. You know, my concern overall, and, you know, I know you had a conversation recently with Brad Lominick, who's a, a close friend, and we've been on the phone every week because, you know, I've been telling Brad, I'm like, we're just not going to make it. Like, we can't take care of enough people to fix this problem quick enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, we know that refuge is extremely effective. When we paid for a, a, a report to be done a couple years ago, last year actually, um, on what an impact study basically on if refuge actually is keeping people in the game. Hmm. It was a fascinating report, 10 pages, spent a lot of money to have it done by a third party. Because the question is, our mission statement is, we keep world changers in the game. Oh, do you? You know, is that true? Like, did that actually happen? And so we paid a company to come in and say, and and survey all of our guests and say, is refuge actually keeping people in the game? If so, how? I'm not going to get in that, but I'm just going to tell you, it's unbelievable what the leaders who come are telling us about how they're staying in the game longer because of refuge. But the capacity is going to keep us from being able to take care of enough guys quick enough that when it quick, we quit, we're going to have to figure out different strategies to be able to affect change. And, and, you know, historically, I don't do a lot of podcasts. I don't speak in churches. I just stay at home because that's really where the magic is for me to just take care of the leaders that are in front of me. And people say, well, why are you doing more podcasts? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm traveling more, I'm speaking more, I'm on more podcasts now because I think, you know, there is a larger audience that we got to start getting this message to around health mm-hmm. and care and longevity and keeping people in the game for the long term. And we're asking the question all the time. If your mission statement is we keep world changers in the game, then the first question you have to ask after that, Rusty, is what would take a world changer out of the game? Hmm. What would keep a pastor from staying in the game? For us, we, we've narrowed it down with this for a long time. We've sat at a table with thousands of leaders. Literally, I've sat at dinner tables with thousands of leaders four or five nights in a row. I've heard them talk. If you were to aggregate the data down in my mind to what we believe would take a world changer out of the game, it's their marriage, their mental health, their spiritual life. You know, they don't really have a dynamic, deep love or passion for the Word of God or the person of Christ, which is shocking. Their physical health, they're just out of shape. They don't eat well. They're, you know, just in a rough place physically or their organizational health, hmm. meaning the thing that they're leading is not working very well. It's not going well. And so they're thinking, I'm just going to quit. So those five areas are the five areas that we focus on highly with the leaders that we're serving to say, hey, what could be the thing that would take you out of the game this year? Hmm. Is it your marriage? Is it your physical health? Is it your spiritual health? Is it your mental, emotional health? Is it your organizational health? And then we work with people and serve people around, hey, how can we help you with that? Yeah. How can this group of 16 or 20 guys stay together this year 
and not quote-unquote hold each other accountable, but how do we walk next to each other this year and say, hey, your organizational uh, health is going to kill you this year if you don't get this fixed. How can we help you with that? Mm. Your mental, emotional, man, you need a therapist. You need to go to a week of therapy. Like, we got the guys you can go talk to. Like, let's let it help you because there's some trauma here that if you don't get fixed, you're not going to make it another year, buddy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for us, it's it's really about, you know, scaling a culture of care and really helping people stay in the game a long time and helping more guys. We just have to do it. And we have to do it. So for everybody listening right now that thinks, boy, I, I don't think I could go, um, but I love what you're doing. And I'd love to support it. I'd love to help fill the gap for some of these people that can't afford the trip. And the trip is economically feasible for a lot of people, but some just can't. Yeah. Um, you've had a lot of investors step up and kind of be the bridge in that gap for people to take care of some of those expenses. If somebody just wants to make a donation, can they do that on their on your website? Yeah, I mean, we live 100% on, on donations. We're a 501c3. Uh, we have churches that, that will, you know, use their tithe, you know, and their missions offering to go, hey, what better way to use our missions offering than not just give to things overseas, but, you know, give to a place where they're taking care of missionaries and pastors and leaders. And so, yeah, we got a, a, a website, refuge.rest, refuge.rest, uh, with a donate button there that people can give to. Um, obviously, they can reach out to me through the website and get in, in conversation with me if they want to talk about a, a gift or ways that they can give. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, I mean, we can only do with what we have, you know, resources and finances to do to continue to grow. And so I'm always thankful for people that go, hey, this is a problem. We do believe in this. We want to help fund somebody or something that's actually helping with this problem. And my encouragement to people is just get involved in this any way you can. Maybe it's not even refuge, but this idea of going like, we've all got to take seriously the data. Yeah. It's not our emotion. It's not our opinion. It's the numbers. Like we should all be, you know, being kept awake at night, not just about, oh, people in our city don't know Jesus or we're trying to plan another church or evangelism. All those things are so important, but they're secondary issues to leaders being in place. Yeah. That's so good. I say this all the time. The, the things that we want to work on right now in the church, we, 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 the things we want to, the hot things we want to talk about, church planting and evangelism and preaching the Bible and missions, Bible translation, you know, huge thing. People love to talk about these things. They're amazing. I'm, I'm, I mean, we care for the people that do these things. We, we're so passionate about it. But they're secondary issues to a leader being in place to do those things. Right. That's the primary issue. If there's not a leader there, Bibles don't get translated. Churches don't get planted. People don't get reached for Christ. Bible's not preached. You know, so so it's a, the primary issue is we actually have to have leaders in place. And let's be honest, it's a, it's a conversation for another podcast. It's not like there's 100,000 20-year-olds sitting around in the wings waiting to want to be pastors. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. Right. So it's not like we've got this robust this robust group of leaders that can't wait to come in and fill the seats for our leaders, our pastors. Right. I mean, you talk, you want to have a conversation on your podcast, start talking to pastors and see how hard it is to fill a church when they leave. Yep. Kerry Newhoff this morning on his email that went out this morning talking about church succession and transition. Well, church trans- transition and succession is a great thing to talk about if you got somebody that will actually transition to or succeed you. Yeah. Those people, I mean, churches are having a horrible time trying to find leaders. I get texts all the time, a couple times a month from pastors. Hey, you know anybody that would want to take over my church? Anyone that's good out there? Hmm. And I know a lot of people. And I'm like, I really don't. Mm-hmm. There's not really a lot of availability of leaders. So how much more should we be focused on keeping the people in the game who are here? Mm-hmm. In the data that, that Barna talked about in his research, 
you know, I was thinking when I first saw the 42, I thought, well, it's probably a bunch of like older leaders in their 60s and 70s that just want to retire soon. The data showed that most of the people that were they surveyed that said they wanted to quit were between 30 and 45. Mm. That's when I fell over. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. You know, because I, I talked to people all the time, I'm like, well, there's, we probably should shut off some people. We probably, there's probably some leaders out there that just shouldn't be leading. I wish that was the case. Because I think the people who are 60, 65 leading in church right now, they're just going to finish out. You know, they got retirement issues and they just, they're going to stick it out. And they've probably been around long enough now that they figured out how to do it and not be totally burned out. But the younger people are the ones who are struggling. And so this is a, it's just a massive issue. We need funding, we need resources, not just a refuge, but for anybody that wants to care for leaders and help keep them in the game. Like this is a primary issue in the church right now that we need to be talking about uh, that's so important. So I appreciate you uh, highlighting it today and caring about it and, yeah. and uh, you know, believing, believing in it. Well, I believe in it because it's helped me and it's helped people that I love. Um, and I continue to have satisfied customers that I send that way. Um, you know, one of the ways that somebody might be able to help, and I just felt compelled to say this, is you might know of a of a piece of property. You might know of a, you know, old Christian camp that's been abandoned or, uh, you know, a site that might be a good location. Um, I, I, you know, I know that you guys have even utilized a you know, former Major League Baseball players ranch before as a, as a site for this because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it can happen anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be, you know, Montana or Wyoming. Mm -hmm. It's a great place for, for people to get away and to help make some of these sites available, which would be just fantastic. Totally. Yeah. And I'll just throw my, my email on, on, on here, Rusty, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at refugefoundation.org. People could always email me if they have a question or, yeah. or if they just want to talk. Yeah. Maybe there's somebody listening today like, I just need someone that's a vault. Yep. There's no one that's heard more vaulted stories outside of maybe a therapist that works 40 hours a week with pastors more than me. Yeah. And uh, so if there's someone that's listening, it's like, man, I'm in a, a tough place. I feel like there's no one I can talk to. I need someone that can just carry some burdens, someone I can unload some stuff to. Email me. Let's get on a call. Let's talk. Happy to, to serve any way that we can. Um, just so thankful for the things that the people that are listening to this do. Okay, so I want to ask you this because we could talk all day long about the, you know, the the sad stories that you and I have heard around a refuge table, but there's also some people out there that you look at and go, "Wow, that's a really good insight," or "That's a really good healthy habit that you've developed." You know, what what are you noticing about some of the people you've interacted with that are really healthy? Mm. What are some atomic habits that they have? What do the healthiest leaders do on a consistent basis? Obviously. They go to the refuge, mm. but what is it that they also do that you think, man? I wish, yeah. I wish every one of these leaders did that because it would probably save them a world of hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I have people ask me all the time, like, who's the healthiest leader that comes out there that you just love and and know? And I won't say names, but I'll tell you some things that I think these guys do. I think the first thing they do, they live in reality. They're they're normal people. Mm. There's something about pastors; they become abnormal. They become just different than the rest of the world. And I, I'm not talking about spiritually, about having this anointing. And, you know, we used to call pastors reverend, you know, which would stand for revered one. But there's something that people, when people start looking at you differently or treating you differently, you start acting differently. And the guys that I see that really do well and make it the long term, they're just normal. I don't know how else to describe it. They're down to earth. They have real friends. They have people over for dinners. They go out to eat. They connect and interact with people. I think one of the biggest things that people do that, that are successful and make it the long term and have a, a really high quality of life of leaders that I know, and I'm talking to some guys that have 
you know, 20,000 plus member churches, they're just normal. Hmm. They don't think highly of themselves. They're not overly humble, but they're, they're accessible. And here's the thing that's the one guy I'm thinking about that's just an incredible guy. He's got friends in the church that have been friends of his for 10, 15, 20 years. He hangs out with them every single week. They go fish or golf or their wives go on vacation. And they're just some business guys in the church. The one guy, his best friend is a construction guy who I'm friends with because he brings his best friend construction buddy on his trip with him, right? Mm -hmm. And I just don't think many pastors have just normal people in the church that they're just friends with because, mm -hmm. and I get why. I mean, I, we don't need to get in the whole story, but we, we know that people have been friends with you in the church in the past and then they leave and they hurt you and all those things. Yeah. I understand all that, but there's got to be this level of authenticity and normality to your life. Otherwise, that's why you start to fantasize about cutting grass and working in a in an ice cream parlor, <laughs> because what you're actually fantasizing about is a normal life, right? That's right. Well said. You're fantasizing about a normal life. So 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 what about rather than fantasizing about a, no, a normal life outside of the church cutting grass, if you could create for yourself a normal life in the church? The thing I love about the Gospels, I was just reading you know, some scriptures out loud with my son yesterday. He's on this trip with me. He's twelve, and we're reading in John and. I, we got done. I said, isn't it amazing how normal Jesus was? Mm. The way he would like talk to people, interact with people, spar with people. In this passage, he was kind of sparring with, um, you know, with some religious elites and he was sparring with them and kind of going back and forth. He just hung out with normal people. He reclined at tables with people who were far from God. He spent time with people that were normal. He didn't get stuck in, in the religious you know, circles of the day. And that's part of what made people mad about him. Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't you in our little private club circle of weirdness? And he's like, no, no, I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go walk around and hang out and travel and talk to people who are far from God. And I think there's something about it that pastors can sometimes become a part of this pharisaical sect mm. of people that actually alienates them from the normal world. And the normal world looks at them like, you're not normal. Like that's, you, you don't act normal. You don't spend time with normal people. You don't do normal things. And so I think, you know, probably one of the greatest things, and there's, we can talk about five or six different things, but for sake of brevity, I think that's one thing no, nobody talks about. That's really good. Like what I'm saying right now, no one talks about. How about just be normal? Like mm -hmm. do normal things, have people over for barbecues and go to lunches with buddies. And, and instead of putting yourself on a pedestal above your staff, and you know, my staff are some of my closest friends. Mm -hmm. Like we have the 4th of July holiday. They're all at our house. They live in our basement when they're off at our house in Billings. They go swimming in our pool. They have barbecues with us. We could be like, hey, we're around you guys doing ministry all the time. Like, we need a break. But we don't want a break because we actually like them. Mm -hmm. They're actually our friends. That's why they stick around. That's why they commit to the cause because they're not just workers. They're friends. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, that's because for my wife and I, we're just normal people. We have, go on date nights with friends. We, we're doing a, a, actually a thing on on Sunday night in Billings when I get back, it's our first uh, night of a dinner club that we just started with four or five couples in our city. Because we just, we love hanging out with people. We love, you know, being in relationships with people and having fun and laughing and eating good meals. And in the midst of that, we have great conversation and we bear each other's burdens and we walk with each other. We pray for each other when something's going on mm. and we just enjoy life. And I think if you're not enjoying life, that's what the enemy always comes to steal, right? He comes to steal, kill, rob, and destroy. I think that joy of just enjoying life and enjoying God, enjoying ministry, enjoying his presence, enjoying food and 
drinks and real conversations and real people. And in those moments that you're sharing that life with other people, you're not thinking about the church. Right. You're not thinking about growth. You're not thinking about the person who committed suicide and you got to do the funeral tomorrow. You're not thinking about the, the, the sermon this weekend. You're not thinking about all the bad things. You're thinking, wow, for right now, I just get to be a normal person. Yeah. I don't have to even worry about those things. I can just be normal. So I think that's a huge piece of, of health. So good. Well, buddy, this has been really helpful, encouraging, depressing, enlightening, (laughs) uh, but also uh, very hopeful in knowing that there are things like the refuge that are out there. Can you give our our listeners one more time your email address? Yeah, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at refugefoundation.org. And our website, which there's not much on there because we're pretty private about the things we do, but it's refuge.rest. All right, refuge.rest. Okay, last question. You have fished with a lot of people. Uh, anybody worse at it than me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, way worse than you. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're one of the better guys that comes out with us, man. Seriously. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay, well, we got a lot of... You're, you're, an, ath- you're an athlete. All right, well, we got a lot of pastors that listen to this, people that you know. Care to uh, throw some shade on some people? You want to you wanna dish on Aaron Brockett or... Uh, Anybody like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody knows Brockett's a specimen, you know, so he just succeeds at everything he does. Oh, he does. We can't, we can't give him any more praise. He does. But I, 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 do remember, I, I do remember a trip where a guy actually caught a fish, dropped his fly rod in the water. The rod disappears in the bottom of the river, and they're like, the rod's gone. Like, it's just gone. I mean, we literally just had the guy just drop a very expensive fly rod in the river, and it's just gone, disappeared. They can't find it. They can't see on the bottom. No joke. They leave. Like, what are we going to do? It's gone. And an hour later, another guy comes along and thinks he hooks a fish. He actually hooks that fly rod, pulls it in, and it's the rod that the guy dropped in the water. <laughs> I mean, what are the chances of some guy casting? His flies are bumping along the bottom riverbed, of, uh, you know, on the bottom of the river, and he ends up catching the fly rod the guy loses <laughs> an hour before and pulls it in. I mean, is God on the move? Oh, or my if goodness. If you don't believe that God's on the move. There you go. It's a miracle. It's like finding a coin in a fish's mouth. That's right. <laughs> yeah, just amazing. So, Oh, we got more stories than you can imagine out there. We need to spend time with thousands of, I think we did about 1,800 guys, a little over 1,800 guys last year. And mm. You can imagine with 1,800 people out there throughout the year, these knuckleheads, you know, there's story after story of, it's so much fun and laughter. Oh, man. I think what was scarring for me was my first trip, it was about 50 below outside. The rain was blowing sideways. And uh, like a, a an army ranger, like the stud of an individual, fell in, in the waders and got, you know, filled with water, could barely get out of the water. And then we had to build a fire just to save his life. You know, it was it was crazy. Now, that's the rarity. Yeah. But still, I thought, wow. That's this is intense. Well, I love it. Like those are the stories, right? I mean, yeah, that's the stories of real life. I think there's something about this kind of fight club mentality of yeah. sometimes we gotta get out from our, our safe offices and behind our desks doing the things that we're proficient at. And I think there's something about putting ourselves in positions where we need someone else to help us. Yeah. I tell guys at the beginning of every trip, the best thing you can do while you're being guided by this 20-year-old who's not as successful as you are, not as smart as you are, not as equipped as you are, the best thing you can do this week when you're in the boat with him and you have a tangle or a problem is to look at him and say, can you help me? Mm. Because one of the hardest things for a leader to do is to look at somebody else and say, I need help. That's so good. Because I'll sit and watch that guy try to get his own tangle undone for 10 minutes 
And I'll say to him within one minute, hey, man, can I get that for you? No, I got it. I got it. <laughs> and I know he doesn't got it. I know that tangle is impossible. We call it a cutter, which means we're just going to have to cut that thing and restart. Yep. And you know, Rusty, you know, that thing can get tangled so easy when you're fly fishing. And then about 10 minutes later, I'd let him struggle. He'll look and say, can you help me? Mm-hmm. And I think there's something so profound about the things that happen as we're together, the funny things, the, the falling in the water and all the things, but also just the way that mm. God teaches us as we spend time together and, and serve people. So so well said, Brian. Well, man, you know I love you. I appreciate what you guys are doing. And Thanks, buddy. Big fans of The Refuge. So thank you for being with us today. Thanks, man. Thanks for what you guys are doing, and thanks for this podcast and all the people that you're helping and just your heart. And we're, uh, we're ride or die with Rusty George. Anything you need. Well, Brian, thanks so much for your time with us. I'm so grateful for your ministry at Refuge and all the things that you guys are doing uh, to just bless leaders and help people all around the world. And we're grateful to be a participant in what it is that you are doing. If you'd like to know more, uh, you can check that out at Refuge. Uh, website, but you can also um, uh, just talk to one of your pastor friends because he's probably been there and would love to tell you more about Refuge. Well, next week, we'll be back with uh, one of our favorite guests, a guy by the name of Brad Lominick. You may not have heard of Brad, but you've heard of the people that he knows. He's an incredible influencer and connector, uh, has worked with John Maxwell and other incredible leaders over his lifetime. And he consults with businesses and churches. And he's going to share with us uh, basically how to uh, navigate content uh, without becoming overwhelmed. All of us have so many infeeds into our lives from social media uh, to email uh, to all the stuff that we get um, you know, on television and, and other podcasts that people give us. How do you manage all that and what matters most? So he's going to be back with us next week. Make sure you check that out. And we'll see you next week. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure that you share it with a friend. And as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, our friends at Belay are offering a free copy of their resource, Four Costly Financial Mistakes for Churches, exclusively to our podcast listeners today. Belay's modern church staffing solutions have been helping busy church leaders delegate important financial details for over a decade. Their fractional U.S.-based contractors provide accounting and virtual assistant services to level up your church through the power of delegation. Just text RUSTY, that's R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123 to claim this exclusive offer and get back to growing your church with Belay. That's RUSTY, R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123.